my honor to be speaking with Esperanza Fonseca today. Uh, Esperanza is a survivor of the sex trade who is well known for her militant organizing and agitation against the exploitation of the masses of women and trans persons today. She's a revolutionary communist and has provided our movement with indispensable analysis of the sex and porn industry, which I will link some of her work in the show notes. And now she organizes low-wage healthcare workers. Today we are going to discuss the importance of physical health, fitness, and discipline for our movement against capitalism, colonialism, and patriarchy, our movement for national liberation, proletarian democracy, and the freedom of women and trans persons from exploitation everywhere. And the last thing I wanted to mention is that we are splitting the main feed of the podcast from our Patreon. We're going to focus less on the theory and practice of revolutionary communism on the main feed and more so on the advanced ideas and practices of progressive Christians here in the U.S. But if you're interested in studying revolutionary communism, if you're interested in and becoming an organizer, becoming an activist, becoming a revolutionary, we invite you to check out our Patreon. You can access a ton of bonus episodes and writings on revolutionary theory and practice for two bucks, five bucks, and we may be rolling something special out for $10 contributors soon. But even if you're not interested in studying revolutionary theory and practice, we appreciate all the support for the main feed of the show as well. All right, solidarity to you all, and let's get to my conversation with Esperanza Fonseca. Esperanza, it's great to have you on the show tonight to, to just be able to chat with you about fitness, but something perhaps much deeper and important, uh, discipline. And, and that's kind of the theme that I think is actually underlying this whole discussion on developing practices around physical fitness and, and caring for our our actual bodies, our health. Uh, but to me, there, there is this really important connection to discipline, which actually brings us to the, f- the first question. So we might as well dive in. As revolutionary communists, or just, you know, perhaps someone's listening in and they're an organizer, an activist, or it's just someone who's deeply committed to justice and liberation in general. Why, why would we exercise and give attention to our physical health and how is physical fitness and health an arena of political and class struggle? Yeah, so I think that I will go ahead and and answer the first part of that question or at least, you know, attempt to outline some of my thoughts on that, which is why do we uh, pay attention to our physical health? Um, and to exercise. And I think that, you know, there's a few reasons. The first is quite obviously for the health benefits, right? Um, We know that, you know, exercise, um, you know, fitness prolongs life, it improves concentration, motivation, you know, energy, mood, Um, You know, when we exercise, we boost our brain's dopamine, you know, norepinephrine and serotonin, um, which helps with focus and attention and just, you know, general mental health. Um, And I think that's really important. And I I don't think that we should, you know, downplay that. as people who are often dealing with the um, worst of the world's problems, thinking through them all the time, um, organizing in community with people who are often constantly in crisis, 
you know, taking care of our mental health is really extremely important. And I've learned that as someone who's organized for around 10 years now, that that's part of how we stay in the movement, how we stay organizing. I also think that, you know, another benefit of exercise is that it improves our self-confidence, which is also important because, you know, I'm constantly trying to help people move from, you know, online commentary towards on the ground organizing. And when you have self-confidence, it often makes it easier for you to be able to knock on someone's door, to be able to approach someone in your community, to cold, you know, have a cold conversation with someone. So I don't think we should downplay, you know, the effect of self-confidence um, in our political work as organizers. You know, I also think that movement, that fitness, um, strength is a right that belongs to the people, but it's often taken from us. You know, we see the destruction of public space in our communities. We don't have any green space. Um, oftentimes parks are taken away. You know, you look at Los Angeles where parks that used to be accessible to the people as gentrification continues to take over our neighborhoods, right? They're no longer accessible to us. Additionally, as our work days are increasing, our hours are increasing, um, it's taken. And I think that reclaiming that right is very important. I also think it's important in the sense of discipline and learning how to push through hardship and struggle. You know, so I think about, you know, being at the bottom of a very heavy squat or the bottom of a very heavy bench. And you have to learn to push all the doubt in your mind to the side and just get it up. And I think that that is something that can be applied to other areas of life. I also think consistency, right? So when we talk about discipline and the need to go back to something day after day after day, and in our culture, we're often so used to these quick fixes, right? That's one of the reasons why, you know, surgery, for example, is so, you know, proliferated because people, you know, the surgery industry, um, you know, preys on people's vulnerabilities, but then also taps into this desire for an immediate quick fix. And exercise is something that is not a quick fix, right? It's something that you have to keep coming back to to get good at. Um, and I think that that also helps remold ourselves and retrain our minds. And then, um, and, and you know, I think it's important to strive for that kind of discipline in all areas of our life, not just with physical fitness, but with study and also with organizing, because organizing is also something that doesn't happen overnight and it's not a quick fix and it can take years. To, to see something come through. And then lastly, as a member of a women's organization, an organization of, you know, women of color, it's also um, very clear that being strong is important for our own self-defense. You know, we always, there's this meme online, a fascist worked out today, did you? But the reality is that's actually very true. Um, the far right in a way has really sort of taken over and monopolized, um, you know, fitness culture. And, uh, you know, they use that to often intimidate us, right? And I think that it's very important for those of us on the left to get strong and to be able to defend ourselves. Um, and then lastly, I guess this, this is truly the last thing I have to say on that, but, you know, I was having a conversation with um, Jen Marley, who is a comrade from the Red Nation, and, you know, we were discussing how even just being strong, being able to deadlift heavy, 
that all translates into real tangible skills when you're in the middle of a direct action or a protest, or you're trying to hold the line, or you need to pick a comrade up, or you need to move something quickly. Um, that's important. And so I think for all of those reasons, it's important that we as revolutionaries, as organizers, also focus on our physical health and fitness. I think you helped us think about something really clear and, and, and kind of dominant in, in our culture today is how the right has taken over, the right has co-opted fitness culture, and it's used it in very destructive, very unhealthy ways. Um, but I, I love all that you just brought to us, right? You were uh, you started off talking about becoming healthier people, right? Mentally and, and emotionally and, and how literally our brains uh, are and our and our feelings and our moods are connected to our physical health, uh, developing that self-confidence. When we go out talking with neighbors or our coworkers or, or tenants or whoever we're trying to organize, you know, some folks have a have a hard time talking with others because there's a lack of confidence. And and that confidence, of course, can be developed through uh, through experience through time, but perhaps exercising can also be another area where someone can have their confidence developed. I also really connected with that, that pushing through hardship, whether you're organizing or whether you are in the gym or maybe you're thinking about a relationship. You know, There's just so many areas of our lives, or maybe you're at a really, really terrible season of life for a plurality of reasons. You know, hardship can really debilitate us and make us want to just kind of sit back and give up. But as we develop the capacity to push through, the capacity to kind of confront whatever that tension is, again, whether it's like physical or emotional or, you know, one might say spiritual, whatever that is, especially as, you know, political organizers, people who are, are really trying to push for transformation, develop the activity of the people, get people involved in real struggles to transform their lives, the, you know, the conditions that they're living in, uh, to, to fight for their and their neighbors and their loved ones' own interests. Uh, we, we really do need to have that capacity and, and that willingness to push through hardship. And, and so, yeah, you brought a lot of really, really uh, great stuff there. And I also I hadn't thought about it, but the the emphasis on the self-defense, I think, is really, really pertinent, too. Whereas so much of our culture, I think, wants us to sit at home on our asses on the couch and kind of consume food, consume drinks, consume uh, television. And so we're not thinking, we're not engaging, we're not participating, we're not moving. We're actually uh, literally they're creating our, our bodies and, and our habits and our attitudes that help reproduce our exploitation and our oppression. So, there, yeah, I think there's a lot of different reasons why physical fitness and health should be taken seriously among people who are generally for justice and liberation, for struggles, for um, transformation of the world. And especially as revolutionary communists, I think developing practices of physical fitness can really unleash our organizing uh, dedication, our organizing commitment, and, and such as well. And to the latter half of that question on how physical fitness and health is a specifically an arena of political and class struggle, which might not always seem like it, right? When you look at a gym driving down the street, you don't see, ah, class struggle. <laughs> but physical fitness and, and, and our health is clearly a 
site for class struggle because, first of all, our bodies and our labor power do not belong to us under capitalism. Um, I sell my labor power to people far more powerful than me because I want to survive. I want my family to survive. We need to eat food. We need to have a roof over our head. And so my labor power isn't used for things that I think is uh, is life-giving. It's not used to bless the world or bless my own body. It's it's simply, it, I am told what to do by my body. And so in many ways, my labor power and my body um, but really as the working class and, and colonized nations here in the U.S., uh, our bodies do not belong to us. And so the physical health is certainly connected to right, our material bodies. And especially our material health doesn't really matter at all. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we're sick. It doesn't matter whether we die. All that matters to the ruling class here is the reproduction of our class's labor. So uh, you can see that on a small level at your workplace when a single coworker gets fired, right? doesn't matter whether they have a job lined up, doesn't matter whether they have access to food or shelter after that being fired. But on that micro level, we can see how um, all that matters is the reproduction of the power and the profit of the employer. But what's really happening is on a larger level um, throughout our particular nation, right? The United States, there's a, uh, there's a class struggle between a ruling class and the masses of laboring people. It's not just an individual worker. I don't matter to the ruling class, but the working class matters to the ruling class, right? Um, a single uh, colonized individual doesn't matter to the colonized nation, uh, right? White America, but the masses of laboring oppressed peoples matter because that's that's how they get their profit. That's how they uh, reproduce their power. So so yeah, what do you think, Esperanza? Do you think that the that that physical fitness and health is a site for political and class struggle. Yeah, I I absolutely do. Right. I mean, I think that we would probably both agree that you know almost everything in our life is a site for political and class struggle. But I think it especially becomes more obvious for anyone who goes to a gym anywhere across the so-called United States, and we see Tea Party flags. We see you know, blue lives flags, and we see which group is sort of hegemonic in those, you know, fitness and those strength building spaces. And I think that, you know, on a very concrete level, even just the fact of like, um, you know, who, again, what, what kind of culture is being promoted in these gyms and in these establishments, and it's, you know, a sort of patriotic, reactionary, nationalist culture, pro-police, state violence culture that, you know, we need to combat. Um, and I think that, you know, we have not done such a great job doing that. Absolutely. And super patriarchal as well. You know, I, I used to be militantly obsessed with working out back in, when I uh, was in my undergrad. And and I, I want to say more about this a little bit later, but I had a very unhealthy perception of myself. But it wasn't just me individually. Right? I was um, amongst a community of people who were going to this gym and we were collectively reproducing uh, this culture. We were reproducing these these uh, negative perceptions of ourselves, these negative perceptions of, of each other, this obsession with how we would look, how other people looked. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think you're, you're right that that's a great example as to how the kinds of culture that 
certain kind of fitness experiences and fitness communities can develop will either serve the liberation of women, the liberation of trans folk, the, the liberation of masses of, of, of working and laboring peoples, or it's going to reproduce our exploitation, reproduce our oppression. So cool, let's move on. At the root of this all, you know, there are some, some, some primary and some really strong and determinative causes um, within the United States for our physical, our mental, and our emotional lack of health, right? Our ill-being. Well, what perhaps are some of the primary determinants of our lack of health? Yeah, so, you know, of course, this not being my main area of study, but I think that there are, you know, a few things that we could name as the root causes for, you know, our lack of, you know, physical, mental, emotional health, right? I think that, you know, the first thing is that all of our systems under capitalism, from our food system to our healthcare system, are organized around a profit motive. Um, and this has led in, you know, a very real sense to the health and the safety of our people um, not being a priority at all. And the ability for those at the top to profit to be how decisions around our health are made. Um, and, and I think specifically in what we call the U.S., we see that, you know, this has led to major problems in health. I mean, everything from, you know, the fact that over 41 million people in the U.S. alone face hunger and around 13 million children, but also the rise in malnutrition with regards to overeating because the food that is produced and sold to us is calorie dense, but is empty when you look at their nutritional profiles, right? So you see that so many of us are deficient in things like fiber, despite the fact that we're often overeating, right? Um, vitamins, minerals, um, even like because of, you know, capitalist soil practices, right? We see a decline in nutrients um, available in whole foods, right? And this is a, a huge, huge, huge problem. Of course, this has, you know, in turn led to a boom in the diet industry, as well as the supplement industry, um, which has not made any positive impact on our physical or mental health and it's often just made those problems worse and the only group of people that it's benefited have has been you know the sort of rich executives at the top that have profited off of the problems that they themselves have created I think also we have to look at you know daily life under wage slavery the amount of hours that we're working the stress that we have in our daily lives you know, you, you look at women, especially with the double shift that's expected of women, um, and, and that in and of itself um, has huge negative impacts on health. Um, and then, of course, you know, this, um, you know, epidemic of state violence that we see against, you know, people who are colonized or nationally oppressed also has a huge impact on health. Um, I also think, you know, monopoly capitalism and neoliberalism and how it's affected our healthcare system. Um, you know, just in COVID, for example, we saw how, you know, our healthcare system has always been bad, but just since the 90s, for example, hospital or since the 80s, hospital beds have been declining, right? Um, and, you know, as someone who organizes healthcare staff, I also see the way in which, you know, our healthcare staff are just seen as sort of um, exploitable labor, and there's absolutely no care put into their lives. And so, 
you know, just to give you an example of this, like one in 20 resident physicians has admitted to making a mistake that's resulted in life. Um, you know, this is one of the biggest studies done on that. And that's because, you know, these residents are expected to work 80 hours a week um, on very low wages, you know, and, and I just think that that's such a sort of microcosm of how our entire healthcare system is, right? Um, there's absolutely no investment made into delivering, you know, high quality healthcare to people, except for those who can afford to pay for it, right? And then I also think, um, you know, another thing that we have to talk about is like environmental racism, right? And look at how it's, you know, the most exploited among the working class and nationally oppressed communities that are exposed to the worst kinds of toxins and pollutants that also have a very real effect on our bodies and on the bodies of, you know, our children that haven't even been born yet. Um, and I think just the way that, you know, our entire life is structured under capitalism, like you were saying earlier, right, um, our time is constantly being commodified more and more and more. And so, for example, you know, you see um, TikTok and, you know, Instagram and Facebook engineering algorithms to keep us hooked on our phones, you know, all the time. Um, Netflix, for example, um, you know, I know we have problems with David Harvey. Uh, but he calls it economy, right? Which is how, like, you know, even Netflix, um, when you're watching a, you know, a show or a movie, it immediately puts another one in the queue to automatically go on. And so I think that what we see is that, you know, they're just increasingly pushing us into being very passive consumers, um, almost like that one Black Mirror episode. Um, and I, those are some of the causes that I think I could name. Yeah. But I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, definitely. I think you I think you named a lot of great examples, especially, you know, on the concerning the reality that we don't control either our time, uh, nor do we control the production of food. Like th those two things seem so basic to human life, to human flourishing towards um, physical health and a mental, relational, emotional well-being. Right, right? If you don't if you don't control really how much time you have outside uh, of work. Because, well, you have to pay these bills. And, and so you, you might think you're free, but now you're working 50-hour weeks. Now you're working 60-hour weeks or maybe more and more. You know, we're working longer and longer hours. So, so how can we imagine ourselves to really think of, think of ourselves as, as, as free when really our time is bought, it's controlled? Um, also, there's a lot of folks right now who are really concerned about the rising cost of food. Now, the ruling class gives two shits about a couple bucks you know, uh, bread or juice or milk or eggs going up a, a dollar or two, right? That, that doesn't even touch them, but it does touch us, right? A, a few dollars added on to our food bill does matter to us. And so on one hand, we don't control the price or the cost of what we're needing to purchase, but we definitely don't control the production of what is actually being produced. And so we are purchasing things that we're not actually really for sure what's in this, right? You know, I, I buy food all the time and I think I'm like, huh, I'm actually I'm not for sure what all what all ingredients went into this product. And that's that's really concerning. I'm always wondering, I'm like, I wonder what kind of health problems I may have in the future or perhaps generationally we will see because we were sold this product um, and we 
had no idea of what was in it. But the laws obviously served the uh, capitalists who produced this food for profit rather than the masses of laboring people who buy the food for life. So yeah, I think that was a great uh, example. But you also were touching on alienation. So whether it's uh, social media or the, the the general deterioration of relationships and community, communal structures happening in the U.S., um, and obviously it's not happening um, within a year or a decade, but over these last couple of decades, I think there has been an increasing uh, alienating of people. And it's not that we're becoming more individual, but we are being becoming more isolated. We're being stripped apart. We're spending more time on our phones, scrolling through TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. We're, we're spending uh, more times at home on video games or uh, reclusing to ourselves in, in our apartments or, um, and less time with community, less time with friends, less time depending or serving or loving one another. And I think that has really, that I, I that's probably one of the fundamental uh, grounds in which uh, you, you take out our communal and our relational stability uh, because we are deeply relational beings. Uh, I, I think that really pushes us over the edge and, and really destroys our physical health, um, but also our mental and, and spiritual and emotional health as well. So earlier I had mentioned that I had uh, pretty militantly been obsessed with working out back um, when I was an undergrad. And I, I, it took me a couple of years to really reflect on the unhealthy ways that I had thought about myself. I related to my own body and how I was seeing and relating to other people's bodies. And so I just wanted to open up the conversation and, and I wanted to talk about what are some unhealthy perceptions of and relations to the body, right? How does this dominant culture around physical fitness and physical health serve our our exploiters and oppressors as opposed to the masses of people yeah so i'm really curious what you have to say on this i guess um you know just starting out there's sort of three main things that come to mind when i think about how the dominant culture around physical fitness serve ruling class interests and you know the first thing is i think the focus on aesthetics now, I don't think that focusing on how you look is always a bad thing. Um, it is okay to want to feel good about ourselves. It is okay to want to feel good about, you know, how we walk outside that day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think that at the same time, um, this obsession with, with aesthetics and aesthetics being the main and only goal of physical fitness is a very unhealthy thing and I think that it serves the ruling class interests and their culture. Um, additionally, I think that oftentimes, you know, when we look at the kind of body image or, you know, so-called image of health that we see projected by fitness influencers online, it proposes a body image which is often very lean you know, you, you, you sort of associate, for example, a six pack or some guy being shredded with him being super fit. But what people don't often realize is that one, 
being that lean is actually not healthy, right? Um, and so when you look at bodybuilders online and they're super shredded, um, you know, one, in, in order for them to maintain that, they either, one, have to be on, you know, anabolic steroids, or two, um, they cannot be that lean year-round because if you don't have enough fat, you literally cannot build muscle. Um, it messes with your hormones. So, you know, I think that there's also this sort of fake image of fitness that's being promoted, and it's very ableist, it's also very fatphobic, and it's just completely incorrect. And I think it causes a lot of mental health problems for people because they don't realize that that's not attainable and it's also not sustainable. Um, the second thing is that I think that the dominant physical fitness culture is really imbued with individualism, right? This sort of capitalist individualism. Um, we often see fitness culture being promoted around this you know, idea of individual ascension to success. So it's very tied in with, you know, corporate business, you know, self-success, entrepreneur, you know, ideology. I also think that we see a lot of fitness culture being promoted, um, you know, in ways that isolate us. And that's often connected to patriarchal culture. So, you know, we see a lot of like, you know, jokes being made on Instagram reels or TikToks about guys going to the gym because their girlfriend broke up on them. And, you know, you have these like audio backgrounds that are like, you know, I don't talk to anyone. I don't go out with anyone. I just stay by myself because I can't trust anyone. And I think that like, that's also a very dangerous sort of line of thought being pushed within fitness culture. And then I also think that fitness is promoted as a cure to capitalist woes or to capitalist alienation. And, you know, it's used to further numb us and disconnect us from political struggle. You know, instead of thinking about our problems and how we can organize as a class in order to change them, you know, our problems are individualized and, you know, we're just told to keep going to the gym, keep working on ourselves. It's all about this individual idea of working on ourselves. And then, you know, the third point I want to make is that dominant fitness culture, in particular for women, reifies the patriarchal beauty standard and a harmful body image. And I think that it's very much based on patriarchal rape culture. You know, I, I often think about how these ideas that are just taken as common sense, just taken for granted by people about women being naturally very much weaker than men, how much of this is actually shaped by the beauty standard for women being one of underdeveloped musculature, you know, the image of women as weak. I mean, you know, if you look at women who work really hard to get strong, you see that they're not as weak as this culture will make you think. Right. But yet you look at what the beauty standard is and um, what the fitness community promotes for women. And a lot, you know, you see a lot of women, for example, afraid to train their upper bodies because they don't want to look masculine. They want to look feminine, um, making men feel comfortable. And I think that the fitness industry is really um, complicit in promoting that. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, all that you said. Um, 
one of the things that really stuck out to me was this uh, development of, of the identity of this individual who goes to the gym, who uh, sees themselves as a person who is known for working out, who's known for pushing themselves, trying to get bigger biceps or, or uh, their butt to look a certain way, their abs to look a certain way. Right? There, there's this identity that really gets wrapped up and and it becomes very self-absorbed. And it's also very gendered as well, uh, as you had said, right? Men are supposed to look a certain way, act a certain way, and women are told to form their bodies in a certain way, to lift a certain way. And in so many ways, the dominant culture around physical fitness really does reproduce both capitalist ideology. It's just like, it's just perfect for capitalism because you don't want people thinking of themselves as collectives, as as communities, as, as people with class or national interests. You just want them obsessed with their individual selves, even to the point of their physical body individually. And it really, I think, even though physical fitness is, it seems like something that we're doing externally, it is an internal transformation. It's shaping us deep down. It's shaping our emotions and, and our spirit and, and our soul towards ways that are very destructive, both towards ourselves and to others. And yeah, so I appreciate you naming all those really helpful ways of, of identifying the unhealthy perceptions. But let's go ahead and turn about what might be some healthy perceptions and relations, you know, in light of this dominant culture around physical fitness that is it's capitalist it's patriarchal it's racist it's colonial it's ableist it's really destructive so so what perhaps might be some more healthier ways of perceiving our bodies perceiving other people's bodies and relating to this physical fitness and and health in general yeah well you know when i think about now what one what motivates me to get strong to lift heavy to work out but also what kind of fitness culture I want to promote among people. You know, the first thing is that, you know, I want to get strong so that I could be there for my people, right? Um, I want to get strong and get, you know, adept at this so that I could help the younger generation take care of their health, help the younger generation get strong, stay fit, because that's important. We never know how we might need to show up for our people whether we're at a direct action, whether we're attacked, whether we need to help people, you don't know. But staying strong is important. And I think that there are some, you know, figures on the left that have begun promoting this idea that, you know, this is something we want to do not for ourselves, not simply for ourselves as individuals, but for our community. And I think that is a very good attitude to have. Um and I think that that can especially be developed when we train with other activists, with other organizers, right? Um, I was a part of a group where we would study together, we would organize together, but we would also train together. And that was one of the most transformative experiences I've had. And I think that if anyone listening has not done that yet, it's something that you should really try. I mean, really training with the same people in your reading group, right? and then also organizing with those same people. And I think that what you get from that experience will be a lot. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but you'll get a lot, you'll gain a lot from doing that. Um, I also think, you know, focusing primarily on building strength over aesthetics. Again, I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to feel better about yourself, you know? Um, 
it's okay to say like, hey, I want to grow the muscle in my legs or I want to grow the muscle on my back. Like that's okay, right? And I don't think we should take this, you know, sort of individualist approach of like, no, that's bad. Like that's, you know, sort of a sin. No, I don't think that. I think it's okay. I just think we can't become sort of obsessed with it, right? But I do think that we need to, at least in my sport, right, which is, you know, sort of strength training, we need to move away from this focus on aesthetics and towards the focus on building strength, right? Um, and then, you know, lastly, I think, and this is particularly for those of us who are survivors of gender-based violence or who are women, which is that, you know, so often we're taught to base our self-worth over how men um, view us sexually or romantically. It's in how men see the worth in us. And I think that, you know, fitness and in particular strength training is often a way for us to develop a self-worth, a self-concept that is not based on male attention or male validation, but is based on something else, something tangible. And for me, that's been physical strength. And I think for those of us who are survivors of gender-based violence of the sex trade, fitness can be a really important tool in our own healing to allow us to get out of our own heads, reconnect with our bodies, and ultimately allow us to get back in the community to organize. Yeah, I really liked all of that. Um, um, particularly, you know, you, you mentioned community, re-engaging re physical fitness, not just for your individual self, but actually for your community, for your people, for the class struggle, for um, women all across the world. And uh, my wife and I, we had just had a baby and our daughter is going to grow up and, and I want her to be trained in self-defense. I want her to be able to physically, you know, take down someone who might want to hurt her. But that kind of physical fitness, that, that kind of training that I'd like her to develop one day, it's not about her individual self, but it's about um, fighting patriarchy, fighting fascism uh, and fighting capitalism. So I really like that emphasis on combating the individualist tendency within the physical education culture and really replacing it with a more communal, but also a more like a revolutionary tendency as well. And yeah, particularly as a man, you know, I hear you saying that as a, as a woman, you, you want to encourage women to resist what men impose upon women with the development of, of an identity connected to how men like see them sexually or see them romantically. I, I just want to think about this for a second um, as a man. So, so I think perhaps from my side, then men need to really combat this tendency that we are all raised to do is to assume sexual relations with or, or sexual interest with women that we see, uh, to assume romantic relations, to always impose our, our sexual and romantic desires on any woman that we see, whether that be in the gym or on the street or in our communities, or, you know, it even happens in our organizations, right? So perhaps that is a, a, a main focus that men need to combat, name, acknowledge, resist collectively within our exercising circles and such. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why I hate going to commercial gyms, even though they're the most affordable, is because a lot of men go there and are very creepy towards me and towards other women. Um, and it's very, it's really not okay, right? 
Um, like the gym is a place where we should all go and just be able to work really hard <laughs> and get strong. Um, but you know, uh, oftentimes men make that environment hostile, which also makes the gym an unwelcoming place for women. But another thing that I mean by that is, you know, women who train hard and build their muscles, especially their upper body, you know, I cannot tell you how many men uh, message me and tell me not to train hard, not to work out. I even had a doctor tell me because I transitioned. I literally had a doctor tell me, now you need to stop working out and be more like a girl. You can't work out too much. Or, you know, let's say you train really hard and you start seeing some vascularity, which means some veins, right? Which happens. It could happen for numerous factors, right? We're told, oh, that's manly. You shouldn't do that. Um, you know, men almost want us to fit this, like, you know, weak, frail image of what a woman should be. And that's really bad. And that's based in rape culture. And so I think even interrogating, men interrogating the way that, you know, they've been socialized to be attracted to a certain kind of woman and what that means, right? Why is it that women have to be small so that men can feel big or women have to be weak so that men can feel strong, right? I mean, that, that's, really, that's really bad for multiple reasons. And I think that's a, that's a huge part of rape culture. Um, and I think that we need to fight that. Yeah. And the best way to combat this, I think, amongst uh, men who are really committed to combating uh, the patriarchy that's been uh, kind of instilled within us from our birth is through criticism and self-criticism. So I'd really encourage you know, any guys out there who are into physical fitness or perhaps uh, are, are, are listening to this and saying, you know, what, I want to form some discipline around my physical fitness um, and whatever that practice might look like for you. Get some people together to to name the ways that you fail, name the, the mistakes that you made, both in thinking and in practice, in relation to patriarchal habits and, and attitudes towards women. And, and I think that's that's the most effective way. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy to say, you know what, I fucked up here. Um, and uh, or or to talk to your friend and say, hey, you know what, I think you fucked up here, right? But that is how we develop. Um, that I think that's a, a true sense of, of love, both for yourself, for your friends, and for uh, the people that we have everything in in common with for for our struggle for liberation. All right, and to wrap this up, to be a little bit more uh, on the practical side, there's no one workout for anyone out there. That's not what we're suggesting. And, and actually, I think you know what you'll share and what I'll share will will hopefully illuminate that there are so many different ways of engaging physical exercise and, 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 and physical health. But we invite, or I personally, I want to invite listeners to start to think about it for yourself. What might be a first stage of development for you and your physical health? You know, what, what, what baby steps might you start taking in, in terms of exercising and, and really being concerned about yours, your loved ones, your families, your communities, your friends' physical health, and really transforming, again, these deep internal ideologies that are just constantly being bombarded upon us and our actual like material, our, our, our ability to move, our ability to run, our ability to carry and breathe, all that stuff. So let's go ahead and uh, Esperanza, uh, what's your routine look like today? And perhaps what tips might you have for some beginners? 
Yeah, so I guess what I'll do is sort of go through what my weekly routine looks like and then give some tips for beginners, which take them or leave them. If they're helpful, apply them. And if not, there will be other tips, you know. But um, for me, I lift four days a week. I do a typical bodybuilding split, which is I have one push day, which is like bench press, shoulder press, things like that. Um, And then I have a pull day, which is like, you know, chin-ups. Um, uh, you know, barbell rows, uh, pulling motions. And then I have two lower body days focusing on, you know, developing quads, hamstrings, and glutes. And I want to say glute development is not simply about aesthetics. It's actually the biggest muscle group in the body, and it's extremely important, especially in preventing lower back injuries and in developing core stability. Just a lot of reasons to train that. Um, And so I lift four days a week. Um, but I also try to get in 10,000 steps a day. Now, 10,000 steps a day was created by, you know, Japanese pedometer companies as a marketing gimmick. There were some studies, and what those studies revealed or suggested is that trying to get a little over 6,000, 6,000 to 10,000 steps a day is actually a healthy, you know, goal to work towards. And the reason why is because it's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT. And it's the energy expended for everything we do that is not exercise or sleeping or eating, basically. Um, And so it's pretty much how active you are throughout the day. As we know, our lifestyle, especially in the U.S., is very sedentary. And so trying to fit in more walking throughout the day is actually one really good first step for people. Um, and also, I think an important step, even for those of us who do practice sports or who do lift, um, it's important for disease prevention, you know, cardiovascular and just overall health. Um, and then I also do some cardio, which I, I do through Muay Thai. Um, and I do that because, you know, being able to defend yourself doesn't just mean being strong through lifting weights. Um, you know, you actually have to train in combat sports and in self-defense. Um Now, in terms of, you know, what I think are some tips for beginners, I think that if you are, you know, definitely just starting and you've been really sedentary, I think starting with just a walking routine can be really helpful. Trying to get in, setting a goal for yourself on how many steps you want to get in a day or how long you want to walk a day and just starting there is fine. I think that, you know, whatever exercise you are most attracted to, Finding that and sticking with it is important. For me, that's then weightlifting, right? But for you, that might be swimming, that might be running. Um, I would encourage people to do weightlifting because I love it so much, but I guess I, I understand that's not for everyone. But I think the most important thing, especially if you're a beginner, is sticking with it. Even if you do 10 squats a day and that's it, but you do it, it will become a habit that you could build off of. And a lot of times we have a tendency to think that it's this all or nothing mindset, right? It's like, I have to go so hard every day. And that's not always the case. It's okay to start slow, start light, start small, but focus on consistency and build up from there. You know, I can't talk about this issue without also talking about mental health and social anxiety, um, because I think that affects so 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 many so many of us and so much more of us than we than we like to think 
And I just want to say that there was a time, especially in the beginning of COVID, where I could not leave my room for months because of how bad my mental health was and how bad my social anxiety was. And at that time, I found some free YouTube videos and I just started doing it and I started doing it every day. And it really helped me come out of that really bad period. And so if you're a listener and you are having really bad social anxiety or really bad mental health problems, and you're like, I can't go to a gym, I can't go outside, just start with something that you can do and don't beat up on yourself. And just start wherever you can and build from there. And you could do it. I'm sorry, that's all I wanted to say. But I'm also interested in what your weekly routine is and how it's changed. But no, I really appreciate that you you brought that in because there are a lot of folks, I mean, a lot of our friends, a lot of our community uh, members are are really presently struggling with just living right now. Uh, they're, they're struggling with getting up out of their bed, let alone exercising. And actually, you know, uh, as as we all kind of know scientifically, but we don't really know until we experience it, exercise can really stimulate that drive. It, it can get the, those endorphins um, pumping and give you um, some energy that you may not have right now. The challenge, of course, is getting to that routine of exercising uh, week in and week out. So, no, I really appreciate you throwing out, on one hand, just that that general grace for people who may not in this moment be at a place where they can, but just put it in the back of your mind. And uh, in a week from now, a month from now, you may be at a new place in life where you say, okay, it's time. Now I can begin some steps and develop this practice. So, yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, so for me, I work 40-hour weeks, sometimes 60-hour weeks. I work on my feet, 12, 13, 14-hour shifts, right? So there are some folks who work at a desk, some folks who drive a truck, others are lifting boxes in warehouses. So I think it's really important for the person who's interested in, in developing you know, physical fitness to take their actual material living conditions seriously. And some people are parents, right? I, I'm just a newborn, but I know others who have like three or four kids, right? And that all, that all shapes the, the time, the, the energy, the just all around kind of conditions of what kinds of exercising we can and cannot do. Because there are some days, especially after I work, where physically I, I got to get off my feet. I got to, I got to give my legs a break. So I just want to throw that out there. Or there is no one workout that everyone should do. And I think developing some di- discipline, some commitment, and, and and really just taking some steps forward in being concerned with your with exercising and physical health is is a great leap forward, I would say. So, uh, but for me, I, like I said, um, those are my conditions. So I try and do a three day work week, and um, every couple of months I'll actually completely mix up and, and and shake up the workout because the muscles will be worked for a couple of weeks, couple of months, and they can start to plateau. You can push them and, and they'll develop, you'll push them and develop, and then they can easily plateau. And if you do the same thing for too long, then all of a sudden they can really start to decline. So I, I would encourage folks, if you can get in two, three, four days a week, do that for maybe two months, you know, three max, and then all of a sudden switch up your entire routine. So all of a sudden you have uh, uh, new energy. You're working those those muscles, maybe new muscles or the same muscles in new ways. And it really, I think, can develop uh, the intensity in, in the long-term strategy of your exercising. And um, I, I kind of do that in three different stages. I'll do high reps, low 
very, very low weight. And then now I'm actually just doing this at home. So I got a few dumbbells, very, very lightweight. And, and I'm just doing this by my bedside, y'all. So a lot of it is just body weight and super, super high reps. But you might do that for three weeks, then uh, drop uh, instead of 50 reps, maybe do 40 or 30 for, for three months. Instead of 40 or 30, then you're doing like 30 or 20, if that makes sense. So yeah, one day I might do, or one round I might do by try. And then this, uh, day two will be shoulder, legs, and then day three will be back, chest. I'll do that for three months and then I'll mix it up. All of a sudden now I'm doing back, by and and chest, try, and shoulder, right, right, whatever you want to do. Again, that's been really helpful for me. I, I've seen when I stick with my exercising um, for, you know, not just months, but, but over years, you'll see some serious development over that. It might be useful for you. It might not. Uh, might want to give it a try. And I want to definitely reiterate what Esperanza said about that grace for yourself. We should have grace for ourselves in this. There will be seasons. I, I actually, I think I just went a whole week without exercising, um, without uh, working out. And it's because I got my ass kicked at work. And now I could be like, oh, you know, I should have cranked in, I should have snuck in, you know, some exercising and, and stuff, but I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to get to it next week. Also, instead of maybe hitting the whole workout, you'll just do half a workout a day. And that's okay. Again, it's this long-term vision. It's it's redirecting why we're doing this away from the individualism, away from just purely developing my body and my looks uh, and my ego and really channeling it towards how can I develop um, these new attitudes, these new habits, these new relations to my body, um, these new perceptions of other people's health and body, but also developing this capacity of discipline and commitment and that, that ability to push through hardship because we need organizers, we need people of faith, we need comrades, we need really militant, committed people to clock off out of their work to go home to the study group, study the revolutionary history, stu- study the revolutionary theory, to week in and week out participate in the mass work, perhaps your individual mass work or your organization's mass work, and develop people's struggles, right? Because this is this is really what, to me, is all about. This is what is most important because if we don't organize, if we don't start fighting, if we don't ground our struggle on a scientific base, then it doesn't matter whether we're healthy or not, because uh, we're all going to get crushed and we we are getting crushed. And so it's time to move away from the individualism, move away from the self-absorption, the ego, and really start to develop some collective solidarity. Esperanza, did you, did you have anything that you wanted to wrap us up with? Yeah, no, I I don't think I have much else to add other than, you know, just again, the angle that for so many of us who are survivors of trauma, of sexual violence, which is extremely common. um, And I think it's something that, you know, perhaps uh, we have not talked about enough, but, you know, so many of us are in, um, in revolutionary organizing, we're in mass organizations because of the violence we've experienced and that violence has left trauma on us and fitness for me you know strength training lifting heavy can be a tool that helps us um you know recover from the dissociation we experience that can help us get back in our bodies and i think that using it as a tool can be very helpful and i think that you know 
involving our comrades, our friends, our family in it, encouraging health among the people around us is really important and it's something that we should be doing. And I really look forward to seeing how we continue to build a more revolutionary, a more proletarian fitness culture that is connected to the organizing work we're doing in the community.